0: good morning greater tacoma you're tuned in to wowd 94.3 fm and this is interfaith ish i'm Sue Katz miller sitting in for host jack gordon this talk show airs every other wednesday right here on tacoma radio we bring you bold conversations about how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions On each episode, we bring in two guests from two different religions or worldviews, and together we get into some interfaith-ish. I've got two terrific guests in the studio today, two Tacoma neighbors who just walked on over to the studio to join our conversation. Here to explain the ins and outs of ethical societies, we have Hugh Taft Morales. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning. And from the world of Jewish community organizing, neighbor Karen Paul. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. I'm excited to start my day in the company of these wise folks. So without further ado, let's get into some interfaith-ish. In our first segment, I'm going to converse with you, and then I'll have a conversation with Karen. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to mix it up, and they're going to converse with each other, and anything could happen. So... (laughs) Hugh Taft-Morales is one of those Tacoma neighbors that just happens to be a national leader in his field. He's president of the National Leaders Con- Council of the American Ethical Union. Locally, he's a member of the Washington Ethical Society, and he's also served as a clergy leader at the ethical societies in Philadelphia and Baltimore. So, Hugh, thank you for acting hyper-local this morning.
1: Hey, you're welcome, Karen. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm good. So, for those who may not know that much about it, what is it that brings people to an ethical society? What what do they share? What do they believe? And and what do they do together?
1: Well, Susan, I I think the first thing that I would urge people to do is go to the Washington Ethical Society or wherever they are. Go to an ethical society because each society is is uh, unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're held together by some current beliefs and uh, certain practices. But the the main the main way to find out is to go and show up. But What brings people together, uh, I would say, comes in two or three categories. One, people are looking for a way to live a more ethical life, how to live closer to their ethical values. Uh, It's not easy. We get ground down in life, and and we need inspiration to live more fully, and community to support us. So some people come for the inspirational talks, others come for the community. We showed up there primarily because while my wife and I thought we were doing a good job parenting, we weren't giving our children religious literacy. Uh, In Mm -hmm. fact, one of our our children asked us at one dinner, "You know, by the way, mom, dad, who was Jesus? And we realized that we weren't doing uh, a basic job of giving them religious literacy. And our our midwife, Mari, uh, another local Tacoma Parker, uh, told us about the Ethical Society. So we began to show up there and uh, it took.
0: So this is not a tradition that you grew up in. Um, it's something that you came to in adulthood.
1: Yeah, yeah, I grew up in a very secular agnostic home. Okay. Father was a physicist, mother was very irreverent. And uh, the closest I came to religion as a kid is getting home in time to watch Star Trek in the evening. So.
0: <laughs> for a lot of people that is a religion, but yeah. <laughs> um, and so do people define uh, ethical culture, which is I guess the name for this whole movement um, and then the individual communities are often called ethical societies, is right, that right? Right? But do you define ethical culture as a religion? How does that work?
1: Uh, members take different positions on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are legally a 503C religious, religious nonprofit. We're defined as a religion. A number of court cases in the 50s and 60s defined us because we function like a religion. We meet weekly, we have talks, we have service programs, we do weddings, memorials, coming of age, baby naming. So we function as a, ethical, as, a as a religious organization. Um, the man who founded it, Felix Adler, uh, in 1876, believed that religions were dying out. There was some evidence to see that at that point. In fact, we are, in some ways, we're a more pious, uh, traditionally pious nation now than we were at the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. But he wanted a place where people could practice and and renew their commitments to ethical values without any theological baggage that they may not be able to carry anymore.
0: We're talking to Hugh Taft Morales, and you're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD. Um, Hugh, so at our local Washington Ethical Society, um, give us a little more detail about the programming that's offered there in case people are interested.
1: Well, again, I'd say speak to Amanda Poppy, my clergy colleague there, for, for the full information. But you can go online and see what they have to offer. The heart of all ethical societies is are, our are Sunday services, Sunday mornings, where um, you, you come in and there's usually at most ethical societies, uh, especially the larger ones, there's some music, there's some uh, um, announcements, there's uh, the main talk, which is similar to a sermon, but usually focusing on ethical concerns, interpersonal issues. Um, for me, the thing that actually hooked me the most was there was a moment of silence, of centering. I had dabbled in Thich Nhat Hanh and sort of tried to work on my own mindfulness, but I realized with three children in the middle of a busy week, there wasn't a moment where I could just center myself and focus, breathe deeply, and try to reset you know, my, my, my compass in a way, and that meant a lot to me.
0: And is part of what is bringing people to an ethical society the idea that they are not going to hear about God? I mean, I know you don't want to mm-hmm. define something as a negative, but is that what makes this different from most other religious organizations? Yeah.
1: I mean, the, the term, the negative term I would use yeah. is we're non-theist, and that okay. means we don't take a stance on whether God exists or not. Okay. We're, we're, most of our members generally are atheists or agnostic, but that's not what we are institutionally. Uh, mainly because of our belief that those issues have led to a lot of bloodshed and conflict in the world. Uh, there's debates over beliefs. So we try to focus on what we agree on as far as how we try to live our lives. I mean, ethical culture, if anything, has to be a lived faith. And so it's how, and a lot of progressive liberal religions would agree with us in that regard. But explicitly, we don't. You know, preach about God, and we don't preach against God. It's mm-hmm. it's really more about the human spirit and human relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. And you talked about the fact that when this movement was founded, Felix Adler felt that religion might be dying off, and then we had sort of the resurgence of a strong. Um, mainly evangelical Christian movement in the U.S. with the moral majority and all of that. And now here we are, and actually the fastest growing segment when they poll U.S. religion now is the religious nuns, and that's N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. It doesn't translate very well for radio. But um, the religious nuns are a, a, a whole array of people, atheists, agnostics, Secular humanists, uh, people who believe in God, but just don't want to join a particular denomination. And so they check the none box on that survey. Um, But this is the fastest growing segment of our population when we do poll. And so um, has that given new energy to ethical culture nationally? Uh, How many ethical societies are there across the country, do we know?
1: Yeah, there are about 20. Uh, okay. The larger ones are on the East Coast generally, but we have a very big one in St. Louis as well, but Washington and New York, and I'm in Baltimore and Philly, as you know. But the I, I think the, the, the question about the nuns is fascinating because there is this sense of, oh boy, here's this growing, this disillusioned group of ex-religious people that might come to us now. But in fact, the Pew study shows that one of the leading characteristics of the nuns is that they're not joiners. Mm. And it's sort of following a trend of uh, Putman's bowling alone from about you know 20 years ago where right. less and less are people looking for deeper connections. Now, I think in some ways that's due to uh, the fact that we are so busy, that, that, that media, things are coming at us so quickly that I think we're, not, we're overlooking the need for deep connection. And so we're hoping that eventually that will lead people looking for a non-theistic alternative to traditional religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's been some growth in some of the societies, yes.
0: Yeah, but a lot of people are spending their Sunday mornings reading the paper, going to brunch, and then taking the kids to soccer.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of discussion in ethical culture about how how do you share your community and your values in ways that don't necessarily imply the Sunday morning routine. So we're looking to do more work online. And to do a lot of work in collaborative ethical action projects where you meet on the streets or at protests or at soup kitchens or in other ways of coming together and and practicing your faith.
0: Right. Third spaces. Um, can you give us a link if people are interested in participating, say, online? Is there an easy way to do that?
1: Well, if if you're in the Washington area, I would go to the Washington Ethical Society website, but you can also go to AEU.org. The American Ethical Union is our parent organization, and they have links to all the societies there, but you can read more about ethical culture. And certainly contact me at the Baltimore or Philadelphia Ethical Societies, and I'm happy to share more.
0: And are you in Baltimore and Philadelphia on a regular schedule? How does that work for you?
1: Yes, generally I, I, I alternate weekends there, and I spend about 10 days a month up in Philadelphia and do day trips to Baltimore. So I, I stay in Tacoma Park for most of the time, but mm-hmm. can do a lot of work online.
0: And has ethical culture been discovered in other countries? Do you find it abroad anywhere or in there England? There were
1: quite a few ethical societies in Europe before World War II, but mm-hmm. since it came out of the Reform Judaism movement, the... The communities were primarily Jewish in in background, and uh, the Holocaust really uh, wiped them out in Europe. So there are really no functioning ethical societies outside of the United States.
0: Wow. Okay, so that's really interesting, and here we have a point of connection. Um, Give us a little bit more about how it actually came out of Reform Judaism. I mean, I knew that Felix Mm -hmm. Adler was Jewish from his name, but... I yeah. did, didn't really know that history.
1: Well, his his father was the rabbi of Temple Emmanuel in New York, which was the leading Reform Judaism uh, temple in the United States. And he came over in 1857, actually, to escape the repression that was happening in Germany against all sorts of progressive and liberal groups. So mm. uh, the founder of Ethical Culture's uncle was jailed for labor activity. And Samuel Adler, uh, our founder's father, was uh, uh, a progressive. He was challenging a lot of the... Uh, traditions within Judaism that he didn't think were needed anymore. He challenged kosher laws. He took the wall down between men and women. He was looking to try to update his religion. And I think his son took that, uh, that approach and, and uh, squared step. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that is the perfect lead-in to our second guest. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute with Karen Paul. Support for Tacoma Radio comes from Braitman Design Studio, a full-service home design and remodeling practice located in Tacoma Park. Projects in Bethesda, Chevy Chase, Silver Spring, Kensington, Rockville, and Tacoma Park since 2004, focusing on remodeling and additions for older homes. Many projects include integrated interior and exterior remodeling for complete indoor-outdoor living. For more information and tips on how to plan and budget your remodel, BraitmanDesign.com, B-R-A-I-T-M-A-N-Design.com.
2: Support for Tacoma Radio comes from Republic, a neighborhood bistro in downtown Tacoma Park since 2014, serving locally and seasonally driven menus for lunch, weekend brunch, and dinner. Hosting weekly events such as Open Mic of the Republic, Late Night Happy Hour, and Sip and Paint Nights. For more information and menus, republictacoma.com.
0: You're listening to Interfaith Ish on Tacoma Radio. That's WOWD 94.3. I'm Sue Katz Miller, sitting in for regular host Jack Gordon. And my second guest this morning is Karen Paul, who's worked as a leader in progressive Jewish organizations for over 25 years. Much of her work has focused on social justice and civil and human rights in Israel, and she was most recently the executive director of the Tikkun Alam Women's Foundation of Greater Washington, supporting social change for women and girls. Locally, she's a longtime member of Adat Shalom Reconstructionist Congregation. Karen, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So, did you know growing up that you were going to work professionally in Jewish community organizing? Is that something you envisioned for yourself when you were a girl?
2: Oh my goodness, no. Um, I grew up in a house that wasn't the slightest bit Jewish, even though my mother was Jewish by birth. My father was not Jewish. They were a non, the way I like to describe them is that they were a non-faith interfaith marriage, completely atheist um household and They met at a bungalow colony in the Catskills where my mother was the Jewish guest and my father was the non-Jewish bellboy and they eloped. Um, And my mother's dream growing up, she was orphaned very young, um, the daughter of socialist Jewish parents, um, was to have a Christmas tree. (laughs) She grew up, she grew up on the Upper East Side of New York, and she was Russian, she was Russian Jewish, and the Russian Jews didn't have Christmas trees, but the German Jews who were there a generation earlier did. So my mother wanted a Christmas tree more than anything, and she got that through my dad. And so my only living grandparents were my dad's parents, we grew up in a house that had Christmas, real Christmas, um, with everything but the religion, and, um, and I had no indication, there was no indication whatsoever that I had a sense of, of my own Jewish identity until I was moving into college and then young adulthood where I went to school with a, with a, that had a, a I went to college with a, had a large Jewish population and a lot of my friends were Jewish and not observant, but had the sense of tribalism, the sense of connection that I had never had growing up as the way I described it. I, I was half and half. Um, and I really wanted that. I really wanted to belong somewhere. And so as a young adult, I started learning that if your mother is Jewish, you actually are considered to be Jewish. And it took me on a, on a journey, on a path. Um, and so it wasn't until my young adulthood where I was I, where I was on that path, learning about what it meant to be Jewish, getting married to someone who was Jewish, and happening upon a job in the Jewish community that really started me on that in that world. And then you just ended up staying in this world professionally and
0: for I, your whole career, so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, with some breaks. And I would just point out that the idea that Judaism passes only through the mother is an Orthodox and conservative That's view. As somebody who's Jewish on my other side and claims my Judaism. I always have to make that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And now you're a member of a Reconstructionist synagogue. So Mm -hmm. can you educate us a little bit about Reconstructionism and how is that different from the slightly larger and more familiar movements that people might know about Orthodox, Conservative, and Reform?
2: Oh, and my husband and I started looking for a shul, for a synagogue that really addressed all of our needs. We needed a place that felt welcoming to someone who, like like Jonathan, was observant to some degree in, and had grown up in a conservative house and cared deeply about Hebrew liturgy. Um, and someone like me who knew absolutely nothing. Not not the melodies of the prayers, not what the prayers meant, nothing about the, the, the rituals or, or what a prayer service looked like. And we found it in Reconstructionism. And our Reconstructionist synagogue, at Shalom, is just a, a really warm and welcoming place. And, and it comes from really the, 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 the strength of Reconstructionism is that it is looking at Judaism as a vibrant, ongoing developing religion and, and, and culture. Um, and it allows for both the, the more traditional liturgy, although we make it gender balanced, um, and gender neutral, um, along with social, the social action. So that's sort of more of a conservative way of, 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 prayer of prayer um, along with social action of the reform movement so it kind of brings that together in a really warm and and welcoming community and our rabbi likes to say that in in reconstructionist judaism looking at the term reconstructionist we are reconstructing what judaism is the bat the past has a vote not a veto nice We're talking with Karen Paul, and you're listening
0: to Interfaith-ish on WOWD. Um, So, Karen, yes, when you mentioned that uh, Reconstructionist Judaism is involved with uh, sort of social action and progressive causes, for me, it's actually in many ways the most progressive in terms of some of the stances that they've taken, for instance, recently, the Rabbinical College for Reconstructionist Rabbis has said that they will accept uh, rabbinical students who are in interfaith mm-hmm. relationships or marriages. And that is really groundbreaking. And I think it's it's helping to push the uh, bigger three movements,
2: which I appreciate. Um yeah, that's, that's very true. And I know from personal relationships with rabbis and cantors in Reconstructionism that even even those who come to it with a very open heart have had some trouble thinking that through because traditionally Judaism has been so opposed to, to intermarriage, interfaith marriage. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a huge breakthrough in the Jewish movement and I really hope that, that the other movements will follow suit.
0: Yeah, and... Tell us a little bit about your work in terms of uh, what are some of the projects that you've worked on through those 25 years that you're, you know, most proud of or where you felt like you were making a difference somehow? What are some of the causes
2: that you've worked on? Well, the very basis of, of Judaism, and certainly those of us who, who sit in sort of the more progressive end of Judaism, is that the work we do is tikkun olam. We're working to repair the world. It's the very ethos of how we live our lives as Jews. And so um, for me, the ability to do that in my professional work as well as my personal life is so rewarding and so gratifying. And it's something that I had chosen to do even before I really started taking this Jewish journey. So for me, it's it's really wonderful to be able to merge the two. Um, I spent over 20 years working as the Washington director of the New Israel Fund, which is an organization that's committed to social justice um, in Israel and really is behind the the development and support of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of civil and human rights groups throughout the country and so i've spent my a good portion of my adult of my career here raising money and doing programming and learning to um and learning from the donors and and the people with whom we work in Israel on the issues of civil rights there. And then most recently I was giving, I was a grant maker at Tikkun Alam Women's Foundation supporting social justice and civil rights um, grant making both here in Washington and in Israel for Jewish women, women and girls.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what are some of those civil rights issues? What do they look like specifically
2: for instance, for women? Oh my goodness. Um, so in Israel, uh, the the rabbinute the is in charge, the Orthodox rabbinute is in charge of all life cycle events. So if you have been, um, uh, you can only be married in an Orthodox ceremony, you can only be buried in an Orthodox uh, um, burial. And there's there's very little room for religious freedom and pluralism and tolerance and one of the issues there for women when they are married and they're looking to be divorced is that they are required to receive a get which is a Jewish bill of divorce so in, in addition to any civil divorce that you might you might adopt you also have to have the religious divorce and there are many men in in both actually in Israel, and as well as in the Jewish community here, who may refuse to give their wife that get, which means that their wife is not fully divorced. And they're called an aguna. Um, and so this is one of the issues that both at Tikkun Alam and also at New Israel Fund that we've supported over the years, like helping women remove themselves from the chains of that, that orthodox requirement of, of divorce. You're listening to Interfaith-ish
0: on WOWD. Uh, we're here with Karen Paul, who's telling us a little bit about her work in the Jewish community. And we also have guest Hugh Taft Morales, uh, who's from the world of ethical culture. And in the second about half of our show, they're going to converse with each other and with me. I can't resist jumping into this conversation. Um, so, Karen... I do like to highlight the fact, uh, when we have them on the show, of people who come from interfaith families because, as you know, I do as well. Do you see that background, and this is sort of my pet theory, as inspiring you in some way to do the kind of bridge-building work
2: that you've done professionally? I've never really thought about it that way. (laughs) Now, you and I I have talked about interfaith families over many years. Um, I think what it's done is opened me to just the questions and the the idea that people come from many different places and many different points of view, and that allows me to be a good listener and to not make automatic decisions about what I'm what I'm looking at or or, um, or thinking about, and I, it leaves me very open. I think to the possibilities of of all the issues at hand. I hate to think that I made you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: And could you just speak for a minute to what it is about Judaism that you think inspires um, progressive social action? Because there's clearly this thread going back, you know, at least in the U.S. we think about, you know, lawyers involved with the civil rights movement, um, and there have been a lot of ups and downs in that relationship, um, and I'm not trying to romanticize it, but um, when I look at people on the front lines and a lot of causes, you know, f- whether it's advocating for women, advocating, you know, for immigrant communities, you see people, I think, inspired somehow by their Judaism. And is there something in the the liturgy the the text that you think is
2: driving this? Well I really do think it comes back to the the ethos of tikkun olam of needing to repair the world and I've been thinking about this recently because a lot of the protest marches that we've been having here in Washington have been held on Saturday on Shabbat which is in Judaism the the sacred day of the week Um, and our clergy have been participating in those marches and have given credence to the idea that instead of sitting in services in shul on Saturday morning, if you are downtown, if you are protesting, you are marching with your feet, as the great Jewish philosopher um, Abraham Joshua Heschel would say, praying, You're praying, praying with, with your feet. feet. Yeah. and that that is equally important to be sitting to, to sitting in shul on, on Shabbat morning. That's beautiful. We've been talking
0: to Karen Paul, a Jewish community leader working in the nonprofit and foundation world, and you're listening to Interfaith Ish on WOWD 94.3 and streaming at TacomaRadio.org. We're here for our bi weekly, that's every two weeks in this case, Interfaith Talk Show, where we talk about the common ground and differences between our traditions. I'm Sue Katz Miller, sitting in for host Jack Gordon. Jack will be back next month, but we're here every other Wednesday from 9 to 10 a.m. And this is the second half of the hour where we encourage our two guests to model diplomatic interfaith and interworldview view engagement. No, that's a lot of pressure, guys. (laughs) Really, we're just having a conversation between neighbors is what we're doing here. Um, So today we have Karen Paul, who works in the Jewish community world, and Hugh Taft Morales, who's a leader in the world of ethical culture. And I'm going to now hand over the mic to our guests to ask anything they want of each other, follow up on the stories they just heard about their work, about their communities, um, and what they've brought each brought to this discussion. Um, take it away, Hugh and Karen, or I can jump in. Does one of you want to start?
1: I got a question for Karen. Okay. Um, tikkun olam is a, a phrase that I've borrowed and used because I think a lot of... Ethical culture is focusing on how to heal. Uh, The wounds are so deep. I think people seek out uh, religion or alternatives to religion because of the pain and suffering that they're feeling so deeply. And I'm interested in the fact that you've worked for an organization dedicated to social change for women and girls because to a degree, if I can be bold enough to say this, that I think the world is um, in need of more healing that... um, does not always come uh, as easily for alpha males who tend to run our civilization. And, and we, we're at a point in time now where, where the realization of, of the need for healing is, is rising along with women's political leadership. And I'm curious as to whether that is a big factor for you or in the organization, how much of that perspective is a part of Tikkun Olam.
2: Well, again, this is so interesting because I've just been thinking about this recently, or as recently as yesterday. Um, as you may know, as, as I'm sure you know, the Me Too movement has risen up over the past year, and my tenure at the Takanalum Women's Foundation coincided with the the start of that of of the movement. And one of the things that I was able to accomplish in my in my year at the foundation was to bring together over 40 Jewish communal partners for a town hall conversation about Me Too in the Jewish community particularly. And that was really the starting point and the jumping off point for this conversation that is taking off in the Jewish communal, sort of professional communal um space, and there's training happening. And in fact, one of the grants that the Chikunala Women's Foundation made was to an organization called Sacred Spaces that is going to come in and work directly with synagogues in our region to deal with the issues of sexual harassment in the Jewish community, in the professional Jewish community. Um, so in the clergy and not, not among the membership per se of the the congregation. Um, and then yesterday, and there have been many articles coming out about individuals in the Jewish community. And I know, by the way, I know Me Too is way beyond the Jewish community. But in terms of this this conversation, um, there are many articles coming out about individuals in the Jewish community who have who have been now accused of and, and convicted in the public square of sexual harassment in their lives. Um, And a good friend and another Tacoma Park neighbor posted one of those pieces yesterday and said he was horrified to see that this had happened with another particular person. And my feeling was, I'm so grateful for the men with whom I work and live and love and who who care so deeply, but I'm so pissed off that they are (laughs) so surprised that this has been happening because for the women I know and love, we've been seeing it our entire lives. So the idea that um,
0: that it's shocking that it's
2: shocking yeah. is is shocking and upsetting. And it just to me points to this need for for you know continued conversation, continued um, reliance on truth finding, um, and continued feminist focus on issues involving women and girls in our community. So, um,
0: I guess it's hard to ask Hugh to respond to
1: that. <laughs> and, uh, <yeah. laughs> well, I brought it up. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm to blame. You did. No, I, I, I mean, ethical culture is wrestling with the same, the same things. I mean, our founder, for all his strength, was a very um, archetypal, strong male leader who, mm-hmm. who ran the Ethical Culture Society for over 50 years. And when he died, there was um, uh, a question of where is this leadership now? And I think one of the things we're seeing more and more now is this appreciation for relational leadership and community capacity building which demands that people um, operate on a, on, on a levels of equity that we haven't seen before. And that, that means all forms of systemic oppression whether it's sexism, misogyny or, or racism or, or cisgendered bias needs to be dealt with up front. And that means centering voices who have not been centered in the past as often. And so you know thankfully uh due to primarily the, the the um incredible uh female leaders within ethical culture our our three largest societies have uh clergy leaders who who are women and and the change is is still a, you know beginning uh, yeah. but I, I think yeah. we have a long way to go,
0: yeah. We don't have a lot of religions or religion alternatives in this country that were founded by women, just putting that out there. Mm (laughs) No, that's true. So we're still working really, really hard to kind of balance the the ship, I feel, that's, you know, listing (laughs) dangerously. Um, You're listening to WOWD 94.3 Tacoma Radio, and this is Interfaith-ish. We're here with guests, Hugh Taff Morales and Karen Paul in conversation. Um, you know, it's common, it's actually the norm in a lot of Jewish congregations to have atheists, agnostics and humanists um, sitting in community. And there are also a lot of people of secular Jewish, ethnic Jewish background in ethical societies. So in a way you have these options And somebody who is, say, uh, an atheist, uh, ethnic Jewish person could go either direction. Um, I see all of this in Venn diagrams because that's the way my mind works. You know, what do you think it is that draws people towards a Jewish community versus uh, an ethical society or one of the other alternative non-religious communities that have been springing up?
1: Um, I mean, I, I I'd suggest part of um, what I think the value is of ethical societies is that they offer a place for people to heal from their own religious wounds. I mean, many of our members are from the Jewish tradition, but a, a high degree, um, actually, in 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 Philadelphia in particular, are ex-Catholic, and it's interesting to see the difference mm. the difference that the community how the community serves those two groups because. For many of the, ex, the ex-Catholics, um, they come to us feeling wounded or betrayed in a way where they need the non-theist focus that elements within our program that may seem to religious trigger um, experiences or, or, or wounds that they've had in the past. Um, And I don't see that as much from our members that come from the Jewish tradition. So Mm -hmm. it's another interesting distinction, because I think within, as you mentioned, within Judaism, there seems to be much more of an acceptance of people having very different metaphysical views about the existence of God or not. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the cultural identity is more important. Um, And... Uh, For me, and it's interesting, Karen and I both grew up in pretty agnostic households. I didn't have any wounds from religion, but those close to me who did um, feel that it is, uh, that ethical culture at least serves a very important role of allowing a congregational format uh, and community for healing Without any of those theological triggers.
2: Mm, mm, interesting. And this was actually 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 the exact question I was going to bring up and ask and ask you. And I was thinking about this um, because in my young adult search, I was looking for community. And had I not married someone who was Jewish, had I been looking for community? on my own or with somebody else, perhaps I would have found ethical culture. And when I remember when I first learned about it, because my neighbors were, got very involved as well. Um, I thought, Oh, religion without the God that works for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because that's not anything that that's, my mind has never been changed about that even in all my years, sort of being active and involved in the Jewish community. Um, and, but, but there is something different and special about, the Jewish world, and that is the peoplehood, the culture, the sense of belonging to something that is is so filled with history and so filled with tradition, um, and there's something very, very filling about that, and that really spoke to the, the needs that I had when I was a young adult.
1: That's probably maybe the biggest difference between you and I, because um, when I got into ethical culture, I was not looking for a community, actually. Um, I was teaching at a small private school that that sort of provided that sort of sense of a deeper, ongoing relationship with other people in a a shared quest. Uh, And uh, it was at Edmund Burke School, and it was founded basically on social justice principles. And so that fed me that. So I wasn't looking for that. And what was necessary for me when I got into ethical culture is to realize how much freedom I had to not um, color my identity so fully. With ethical culture, so I wasn't, you know, any any sort of sense of tribalism I recoiled from, and it was in fact the the free thought tradition and the skeptic tradition that fed into ethical culture because that was the other piece that uh, I didn't mention earlier that Adler grew up in the United or as as a young minister he was part of uh, a free thought culture that was questioning a lot of other 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 religions and was promoting freedom of thought. Without that being central, I think I would have uh, I would have found it more difficult. I do think it's interesting that with identity we tend to sort of want to put people in one box or another as opposed to the fact that people can be many things. And I think that's something we're we're beginning to learn more about. That you don't have to only be this particular or have this particular perspective. Um, at the same time being clear that an organization exists for a given mission or purpose so that, that that we are comfortable saying, this organization stands for these values, and I subscribe to them, but the organization doesn't define me, and that was very important to me.
0: You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD. We're here with guests Hugh Taft-Morales and Karen Paul, neighbors, in conversation on some Interfaith-ish. Um, Karen I guess I preempted your question I have to learn to let my guests converse and not jump in all the time did you have anything else you wanted to ask you
2: Um, that was actually the that was the one question but (laughs) it's you know it's interesting about the community back to the question of community we all live in a very we've made a very distinct choice to live in a community that is very very communal and that was feeding my needs at the same time that finding my path in Judaism was feeding my needs. And so um, at, w- what's interesting to me is someone who um, was not raised with any doctrinaire around religion, um, I think I find myself, as I've now moved well into adulthood and late middle age and have taken many journeys over that, that period of time, that it's exactly as you just said, You you identify yourself in different ways and perhaps different ways in different times in your life. And so I'm finding myself less connected, for instance, now to the synagogue, qua synagogue, um, and more to thinking about how Judaism affects my life in a more kind of in a more global way. Um, And don't feel this need to, again, sit in shul on Shabbat morning, although it's always lovely and wonderful and meaningful when I do, but trying to find um, that path through different through different vehicles and 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 the Jewish community writ large is looking for that as well I have to say one of the things that um, here in Washington at least I know that synagogues are finding is that many of those synagogues were built out in the suburbs you know the Jewish community started kind of in the middle of the city at sixth and I area in fact it used to be at the turn of the century that those streets were all closed off when the high holidays were, were You know, came around, Um, and as the Jewish community started moving outwards to into Montgomery County, the the synagogues followed, and the synagogues are there, and those buildings are there, but the Jews are actually starting to come back into the city, Mm. and so uh, Adat Shalom is finding that they're trying new ways of reaching their community and their congregants by taking some services on the road moving it into the city, um, thinking about how do you reach people in different spaces and different places as they take their journeys, both young and old, um, and as a synagogue, synagogue life does as well.
0: Yeah. And that's happening across the country. Yeah,
1: I, I kind of wanted to, to, at some point, get to where the differences are, but I think there's so much more in common between Karen and I that I think I want to I wanna emphasize, I love the phrase, praying with your feet, um, ethical culture. I think is unique in that it explicitly states that we are more about our actions, our our, our how we live with each other, our our behavior, than we are about beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I have to actually catch myself when describing ethical culture because as a philosopher I tend to start with with ideas and I love the beliefs and, and behind them, but they mean very little if they're not backed up with how you live your life. That to me is is sort of a for me a sort of secular mindfulness that I have to repeat to myself. So one of the values I think that we share is is in the traditions and in the the regular reminders of our deepest values. That's that, that moment that I sat in the ethical society and, and took that deep breath and just reminded myself we don't do that a lot. We don't look at our lives in context of what we want to leave as our legacy or, or in the broader picture. We're so focused on the narrow the narrow concerns that that every conversation you have should be an expression of your faith. And, you know, on a good day, maybe half of my <laughs> conversations will be imbued with that faith. But it's that that need for reminder is something that I think is a very important part of, of a congregational life.
2: Yeah. I have a completely personal question for you, Hugh. Did any of your children go th- either decide to or go, go through a period where they believed in God?
1: No. no no no, not uh you know and i it's a third
0: generation (laughs) yeah 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 no
1: it's uh there is very little i mean my mother my mother would uh claim she was a witch and and claim supernatural powers in that way but that was the only uh bit that (laughs) that entered into our lives no i my children are all pretty much free thinkers from the beginning and uh Um, you both know my eldest son Sean and and Maya and Justin pretty much followed suit is that they weren't going to let anybody do thinking for them and that to me is one of the most important ways you show your belief in the inherent worth of the other person which is a central tenet of ethical culture now that's a belief uh, but unless you actually express it by giving people space uh, to express their ideas you're not really demonstrating your faith and inherent worth. Uh, The coming of age program at the Washington Ethical Society was the most liberating experience for our family in allowing our children to grow into adulthood in a way where they were independent, respectful, constructive, and totally their own person. And that was was incredibly important to us.
0: You're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. And you can stream at TacomaRadio.org. We're here with Hugh Taft Morales and Karen Paul, neighbors in conversation on some interfaith-ish. Um, Hugh, we didn't really talk about how you transitioned mid-career from being a, a teacher to deciding to really put your, your full professional self into being a leader in ethical societies. How, how did that come about?
1: Well, when I taught at Edmund Burke School, I was teaching history, philosophy, ethics. Uh, For a while, I ran the community service program, and for a while, I I ran the diversity program. So it was basically ministry to (laughs) adolescents. And uh, it was really actually very – there was a moment where I was watching the debacle of George W. Bush's uh, election and then into the, 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 the the quack,
0: which now seems quaint, which seems
1: quaint. I know it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but I, I felt that I, I wanted to make a contribution on a, on a, um, more social level. And so that was the transition I made out of teaching. I loved teaching. I taught for 25 years. I could walk into a classroom tomorrow and be happy, but it was more of a sense of, um, how can I make more of a contribution to change our general culture from one of, of, lies, which began with uh, weapons of mass destruction, at least in this phase, and, and has gotten us to the point now where we've got to teach our children not to copy uh, the, our chief executive.
0: Yeah. yeah. Moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> um, here we are, you know, we're all Tacoma Parkers, and we're all involved in different ways in social justice work. Um, and I'm thinking about our community as as a magnet for people like us, and the legacy of that for our children. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna go there. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's interesting. Each of us belongs to a community that does have robust coming of age programming, whether it's the you know Bar and Bat Mitzvah in a traditional. Jewish context or the, the amazing coming of age program at Ethical Society, which, frankly, my community, the Interfaith Families Project, uh, borrowed from heavily in developing a coming of age program specifically for interfaith kids. Um, Karen, you asked you about his kids. Are you going to disclose anything about yours?
2: <laughs> oh, um, well, first of all, I just want to say I'm very jealous of the coming-of-age program of yeah. the Ethical Society. It's great. I thought it was extraordinary um, for the kids I know who went through it. Um, and the families go through it. The parents the are really involved. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, in my house, it was an interesting conundrum because my husband believed in God and mm. I didn't. Mm. And we made a decision, or I or I agreed, when we got married and decided to have children, that I would allow them to be raised to believe in God, which was hard. It, yeah. and and it was it was one of many <laughs> concessions in that in that area. Um, but interestingly, and I and I I really think back, and I don't think I ever made a misstep. I think that I really was with that program and allowed that that faith and that God belief to um, be. The way they were they were raised and how they they received the the religious training that they did as young as young people and then going through their bar and bat mitzvahs. But by that age, which is clearly the right age for a coming of age mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. moment, they all started questioning. I, and I I none of my three children are are believers now. Um, Interesting. And I don't think. My husband had a problem with that. He was he was raised also to be a very, you know, interested and thoughtful and tolerant person. Um, he assumed that each of his children would take their own path, just as he did and just as I did. Um, but, yeah, they have not chosen to be believers in any way. One is completely completely um, abandoned, he, he he's never been interested in, in any kind of organized religion, he thinks of it as anathema. Um, my That's my oldest, my daughter, vaguely interested, um, and actually wrote a very interesting college essay about her bat mitzvah because, as you both know, my husband died two years ago, and as she was applying to college, She wrote her essay on how, while she had her bat mitzvah, she was supposed to be welcomed into the adult community, but she didn't really understand what it meant to become an adult until she went through that Mm. really terrible, Mm. terrible... situation. And then my youngest seems to be the most engaged because he goes to Jewish summer camp and Jewish summer camp really seems to be, and all the studies really back this up, seems to be the place that most imbues young people with a love, a a vibrant, active, like song out loud love for their Jewish identities. And that's where he is right now, literally and figuratively.
1: (laughs) Just one question, Karen. We, we've gone 55 minutes and we haven't talked a lot about God and, and you, you shared a little bit there about your family's perspectives. But uh, ethical culture has a bumper sticker. My favorite is deed before creed. Um, and that's part of the, the, the that focus on action. But my question here is that we do have a creed. To me, it's nothing more than shared public values. And my question to you is, do you think that the, the issue of faith in God, which certainly some members in the Jewish community say is the, the cornerstone of their faith. Is that a source of strength for your community or d- division more?
2: You mean in Reconstructionism or yes. in my particular yeah. synagogue? Yeah, um,
1: Reconstructionism.
2: Oh, I honestly don't know enough about the questions of God in the Reconstructionist religion mm-hmm. to answer that question. I will say that I... I'm making a very broad assumption, but 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 bandied about many times has been the the, the tagline that you know half of the shul doesn't believe in God. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that it's a place where you can feel free not to believe in God.
0: And that's going to be true in most progressive Jewish communities yeah. across the more progressive uh, denominations. So our m- movements. Um, We're coming towards the end of our show. I think I need to have both of you back, but perhaps in uh, mix it up, give you different guests to bounce off of. But uh, I I love you guys and you're close by. You can roll out of bed and down to the studio. So I want to make you regulars. Um, I want to thank both of you for being part of the show. And you have been listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm Sue Katz-Miller, sitting in for host, Jack Gordon. And we've been talking to Hugh Taft Morales uh, and Karen Paul. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. We've had an amazing experience. Uh, Over the last three episodes, I have been sitting in as host. And in two weeks, you're going to have a special treat. Uh, Guest host, Miranda Hovemeyer will be here for her first voyage as host. And then Jack Gordon, your regular host, will be back later in August with his wild style of intersectional, interreligious, irreverent-ish. So I want to give a special shout out to Steve Hoffman for running the controls for me over the last three shows here in our Tacoma Radio studio on charming Westmoreland Ave. And of course, thank you listeners for spending your hour with us. Let us know if there's interfaith-ish you wish to dish by writing an email to interfaith-ish at gmail.com. That's interfaithish at gmail.com. And up next is Borderlines with Bobby Hill on the People's Voice of Choice, W-O-W-D.